So let's dive in. Let's listen to these words that, that Jesus actually died upon the cross to give to you. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. You can follow along in your worship guides or on the wall or behind me or in your own Bibles. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, we pray for a blessing on the, your word. We pray for your spirit to be working in our hearts, shaping and forming the life of Christ, that we would know your word for our lives today. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. A mentor from college shared with me a, a story of his, and it, it, he was sharing the story. It was a story of his own failure. It's also a story of great embarrassment to him. And he was in seminary, living in the basement of one of his own professors, one of his own mentors, a person who, would, who was shaping his life in very significant ways. So one day, my college mentor asks to borrow the car to run some errands. And he goes and he does his errands. But can you guess what happens? He wrecked the car. In fact, I believe he totaled the car. In that moment, how would you feel? Someone whom you love, admire, and respect, you actually just damaged something that was theirs, something that they use on a daily basis, something that they depend upon. How would you feel in that moment? So he returned. My mentor returned, and he, he said, he explained what happened. He's like, I wrecked your car. And his mentor responded, it's okay. It's a car. How are you, and are you okay? That person who said those words was Tim Keller. And Dr. Keller would never share that story, but that's the grace in his life. But this is a story here, even in our passage, of grace and failure. Jesus speaks to our failures. Every single one of us has failures in our own lives. There are sins, there are sins in our lives. There are struggles in our lives. And the question, the question is, how do we respond to these failures? How do we respond to our sinfulness? How do we respond to this brokenness? Are we going to respond in a religious way? Or in a gospel way. And there's a contrast there. Because religion says, says in a spirit of fear and defensiveness, shoot. I have to go tell dad what I did and face his judgment and condemnation. That's the religious posture of our hearts. But what the gospel says is this, is that I messed up and I get to go tell dad about it and hear of his encouragement over me. 
We see this in our passage this morning. That's what I want us to look at, to see this gospel rhythm of Jesus and our failures. And an outline for us is Peter's abandonment, Jesus' grace, and our discipleship. So let's start with Peter's abandonment, because Peter is one of Jesus' closest friends. Throughout all the Gospels, you see Peter, James, and John having some of the most personal and intimate moments with Jesus. He has been with Jesus from the very beginning in John 1, 35 to 42. The first command that Peter heard from Jesus was, follow me, and Peter responds and follows him. Peter saw every one of Jesus' miracles. He heard all of his teachings. He was, in fact, the very first person to recognize that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Christ who comes to take away the sin in the world. Yet Peter was also the one who was gravely mistaken about Jesus. Right after that moment when Jesus confesses that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, right after he acknowledges that, he turns around to Jesus and and responds to Jesus because Jesus says, okay, now that you know that I'm the Christ, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and die. And Peter says, no, you're not. You're Oh, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. So that's when Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. The strongest rebuke. In all scripture, is given to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. So later on in John 13, when John, Jesus st- stooped to wash the disciples' feet, it was Peter who said, oh no, you can never wash my feet. You can never be my servant. But Jesus actually corrects him there and says, if I do not wash your feet, then you can have no part with me. Then later on, and we haven't looked at this passage, um, Jesus, before Pontius Pilate, he says, My kingdom is not of this world. For if this kingdom was of this world, my, my servants, my disciples would be fighting. Just that, like a few hours earlier, perhaps an hour, perhaps two, it was Peter who pulled out his sword and chopped off Malchus's ear, and Jesus rebuked him there. And so when Jesus said that he was going to go to his father's house, this is John 14, John 15, and that the disciples could not follow him, Peter said this, Why not? I will lay down my life for you. Here we see this picture of Peter from these encounters that Je- all throughout following Jesus. This is three years of Peter's life that we see this, his character before us. Peter is supposedly the one who says everything that comes into his mind, everything that comes into his heart, and he's appealing in all of these moments, he's appealing to his own self-confidence. He's the one with swagger. He's the one with religious entitlement and defensiveness. He followed Jesus for three years, and now, and we saw this a few weeks ago, Jesus tells Peter that he's going to deny him three times. That Peter was going to deny his Lord and Savior, his rabbi. He was going to abandon him. So we'll see this in a few weeks. Jesus was arrested in the garden, taken before the high priests, Jesus was falsely accused and he faced a kangaroo, rigged kangaroo trial. And Peter was outside in the courtyard. People came up to him and was like, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? Aren't you a Galilean? Don't you know him? And Peter denies him, not just once, not just twice, but three times. He says, I do not know the man. So after Jesus' death, this is coming to chapter 21 now. After Jesus' death, his disciples scattered. Not just Peter. All the disciples scattered to a degree. Cleopas, for example, 
in Luke 24, he, he leaves the entire company of Jesus' disciples, goes on a walk to Emmaus, leaving the Jesus movement in search of the next Messiah. And that's when Jesus appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. But here we see in chapter 21, if you begin with the, the beginning of the passage, coming up to verse 15, we see that G Peter is actually going back to his old way of life. He's going back to his old business, his old calling. He's going back to being a fisherman. That is what's going on in the first 14 verses of this passage. Peter has left the Jesus' movements. And so when... Think about this, that Jesus defeated death and he's appearing to his disciples. But what is Peter doing? And, and like we learned this in 1 Corinthians 15, I believe, that the first apostle, at least in Paul's, the order that Paul gives, the first apostle whom Jesus appeared to was Peter. But what is Peter doing? He's going back to his old way of life, his old calling. He's returning to being a fisherman. He returns to his old way of life, to his old vocation. He's done with being a fisher. Of man. Such, friends, and we know this, such, friends, is the burden of failure in our lives. Such is the voice of the inner critic. I'm using that language rather specifically. Here's Brene Brown, and she spoke about her own inner critic during, um, after her first TED Talk on vulnerability. And that went viral, and in her own words, she says this about her inner critic. The marching orders for my husband and my therapist were do not read the comments about that TED Talk online. So what did I do? I read the comments. They were nasty and mean, and here's one example. Of course she em embraces imperfection. Look at how she looks. The cruelty. And these were the types of things, in her own words, that inspired her to stay small in her own life. But what changed her, that her life was the discovery of something Theodore Roosevelt said. And it's something he wrote. It's a poem. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or when the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. And that's the end of Brene Brown's quotes. But to, be, to really argue with Theodore Roosevelt, we're not the one who's the man in the, the arena in any way, shape, or form. Because there needs to be something greater than that. Because, yes, we're all in the arena of life, just like Peter. And re reality is we fail. We fail. The, and like not only do we fail, the devil accuses us. The name Satan means accuser. The devil comes to us with accusations. And his accusations are true. Yes, we are sinners. Yes, we are guilty. We are sinners. Peter denied Jesus. Peter abandoned Jesus. And so the, the self-help knowledge of this world, and perhaps you hear the proverb is, be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself. But what is the basis, what is the foundation for that kindness when you, we are truly guilty of our failures? The basis for any kindness in any way, shape, or form is the grace of Jesus. We receive grace. We receive kindness because Jesus is the one who gives us his grace. He freely gives it to us. And it's his grace that is greater than the truth of our own failures and sin. Friends, this is the gospel. As the psalmist says, as far as east is from the west is distant, you have put away our sins. 
Jesus' grace, our second point, Jesus' grace is greater than our failures. And we see Jesus' grace coming to Peter very pointedly right away here in this passage. Looking at verse 15, when they have finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? Let me just focus on the word these, because this is a question. And commentators can't really agree what Jesus is asking here. There's really two solutions, two answers, and they're both worth entertaining. Because one possible inter- interpretation is that Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me more than these, these fish? Because what you're doing right now is you're returning. You have stopped being a fisherman, a fisher of man, and you're returning to being a fisherman. Do you love me more than your old job? The second possible interpretation is that he's asking Peter the question is, do you love me more than the other disciples do? Do you love me more than the other disciples do? Because Peter's long life, his, the, the, the sinful struggles in his life that we've seen is a sense of, of self-confidence. It is an, an aura of superiority that he was the one who knew who Jesus was first. He was the one who was willing to die for him. That Peter was actually the one when he sees Jesus walking on water. What's Peter do? He jumps out of the, out of the boat and starts walking on water. That is pretty mind-blowing. Let's be honest. But the reality is that his heart was an idle factory with self-confidence arising from sinful pride. And if that interpretation is right, then what Jesus is asking him is, have you changed? Jesus is is on an investigation. Are you the old Peter or the new Peter? And we actually see Jesus having this mindset here. How does Jesus address Peter every single time? Look at with me. Verse 15, Simon, son of John. Verse 16, Simon, son of John. Verse 17, Simon, son of John. We don't see Jesus talking to Peter this way ever since John 1. John 1 is the moment when Jesus meets Peter and he says, Hey, Simon, son of John, from now on you're going to be called Peter. There's this contrast in Jesus' mind. Are you the old man or are you the new man? Are you Simon, son of John, or are you Peter? Because what we see Jesus doing is that Jesus renamed Peter. And, he's at, and there's this question in our own lives for every single one of us. Is this the old you or is this the new you? There's a question that each and every single one of us needs to really contemplate in our lives. That where would we be without Jesus? And there's an important lesson for us to know and consider here because before we can actually experience God's grace, we need to know our sinfulness. And what we see here in this wonderful passage is that this is not done harshly or without care, but with love and gentleness. That's what Jesus is doing here with Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me? This question's repeated three times, and it's clearly contrasting Peter's denial of Jesus, where Peter denies him three times. So put, yourselves, put yourself now in Peter's shoes. You denied your Lord three times. You rejected his friendship. You abandoned his company. Imagine the weight of that guilt on your life. And because Jesus is now showing Peter his sin. And what what that is doing in his life, he's moving him actually to a place of restoration and forgiveness. Because we must always remember that God, and I said this two weeks ago when we looked at 
um, John 15, we must always remember that God is more committed to our own Christian growth than we are. God is more committed to our sanctification than we are. And so here, Peter's answering this question, do you love me? He's, do you love me? He says, yes. We see in his answer that this is the new Peter. This is not Simon, son of John. This is Peter. Peter answers Jesus, not by bragging, not by pointing out his religious success or having exuding self-confidence, but every single time that he answers the question, he says this, Lord, you know I love you. Lord, you know I love you. Lord, you know everything you know that I love you. See, three times Peter answers, not with, a, not with boastfulness, but with an affirmation of God's self-knowledge and who God is. This is an affirmation that rests not on self-confidence or himself or the strength of his own love, but on the sureness of who Jesus Christ is. Lord, you know that I love you. And so here we see this very clear contrast. This is not the old Peter. This is not the Simon son of John. This is Peter. And Peter is humbled. He is repentant. He is the new man. And so when he's asked the question the third time, he's grieved. He's hurt. And so what the reality is, as we consider Jesus' grace in our lives, his, and grace is unmerited favor, his kindness that is truly undeserving, this grace of God needs to be at the very center of our discipleship, let alone Christian leadership. It needs to be at the center of our Christian discipleship, let alone Christian leadership. And so what, when we see this, well, that what's going on is that Jesus is actually restoring Peter. He's ordaining him to the office, but he's doing so. He's, and as he's doing so, he's not calling for Peter to be perfect. He's calling for humility. He's calling for repentance. And so we see P, the Apostle Paul talking about this in a different way, that I boast in my weakness. And this brings us to our third point, our discipleship. Because there's two things to note about our discipleship here. And so, quote Leslie Newbigin, I think this is the last time I'll quote him for a while, that Peter cannot be a fisher of man and a shepherd without first being a disciple of Jesus Christ. First, the first thing I want to point out about our discipleship is actually in the very last verse, verse 19. First, there's a call and a command to follow Jesus. Jesus says, follow me. This is actually the very same command that Jesus gave to Peter in John 1. So the first command that, Je that Peter heard from Jesus' words is actually one of the last commands he heard from Jesus' lips. Follow me. And Jesus is quite direct with Peter. He's telling, he reveals to him where he's going to go. Look at verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. See, following Jesus right here, friends, means following him to our death. Specifically, the death of the old man that is each inside each and every single one of us. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said in his book, Cost of Discipleship, that when Jesus bids a man to come to him, he bids him to come and die. We must 
all pick up our crosses and follow Jesus. And for Peter, this meant a true physical death upon the cross. And Christian tradition tells us that he was crucified like his Savior, Jesus Christ. But for every single disciple of Jesus Christ, we must die to our old selves. Like So for the man in this passage, that Peter had to die, the old Simon, son of Joseph, had to die and become Peter. And in the book of Acts, we see uh, Saul's conversion on the Damascus Road. Saul had to die and become Peter. And there's this, this command in all of Paul's writings in Ephesians and Colossians where we are called to put off the old and put on the new. And so while we may not be martyred for Jesus' sake, each and every single one of us will actually suffer for Jesus. And what we are seeing here in this passage for Peter is this is actually a wonderful kindness. His religious swagger, his pride in his own accomplishments, his own self-confidence is broken. And so at the end of the day, friends, what we need to know about our Christian leadership is that the prerequisite, the precondition for leadership must be humility. And this is why Jesus sets Peter apart and ordains him to the work of being as under shepherd within his church. And this is something that every single one of us need to imitate and become as well. And the second thing to highlight about this discipleship is actually the fruit of discipleship. There's a love for Jesus' flock. So in response to every single question, Peter, do you love me? Or Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus gives a command, a task, a mandate, a charge that Jesus tells Peter first to feed my lambs. The first thing that Jesus says to Peter, is to, and he's pointing him to feed the youngest, the weakest, the most vulnerable members of the church. And then there's another command that follows that. that with the second time he asks the question, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Then he, Jesus broadens his vision. He, then he says, tend my sheep. And then he continues for a third time, feed my sheep. See, this calling that uh, Peter is being sent into of Christian leadership is to be a shepherd. He, this is the charge to care for the people of God. And so Henry Nouwen put it this way about Jesus, that for Jesus, there are no countries to be conquered. There are no ideologies to be imposed, no people to be dominated. There are only children, women, and men to be loved. In other words, the proof, going back to the, the proof, the fruit of our discipleship, the proof of our love of God is actually seen in our love for one another. But this love is not a, a simply an enjoyment of being around people, because that can actually be a form of self-gratification, where you love people for your own sake. The love that Jesus is actually calling Peter and every Christian to have is a love that requires compassion and empathy where you love people for God's sake and you're willing to die for them. That is the calling that is being laid before Peter. And the only way that is actually going to be possible is if you know God's love first. Because it is the love of God that enables us and empowers us to love others. It is the grace of God that opens our hearts and makes us gracious to one another. So one of my favorite hymns is Before the Throne of God Above. And it includes this verse. When Satan tempts me to despair, 
and tells me of the truth, of the guilt wherein, of word I look and see him there, one who made an end to all my sin. Because, friends, our failures are true. Our guilt is true. We have broken God's law. We are even the ones who have crucified Jesus. Jesus went to the cross to die for our sins. But it is Jesus' grace that is greater than our failure. And so, brothers, sisters, the next time you hear that inner critic within your, your heart, the next time you hear those truthful accusations of the devil, be kind to yourself, not because of anything that you have done, but because Jesus is kind to you. That Jesus went to the cross and died the death that you should have died because he lived the life that we should have lived. So instead of hiding from God in fear of his criticism or condemnation, actually run to your father. Confess your sins and enjoy his embrace. Because he sings this over you. This is my son. This is my daughter in whom I love, in whom I am well pleased. That is the wonderful gospel. Let's pray.